Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on tipping for carryout, sharing public pool chairs, bringing toddlers to fancy restaurants, and showing up late to a wedding. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about the expenses that come with being in the bridal party. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on email do's and don'ts. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Dude, you're going to be like on your etiquette game over the, like, yeah, like the coming like five days. Like you've got, you're, you're going down to, can we say the city? Yes. Boston. And you don't just have like one arrangement where you're someone's guest you have like 10 arrangements right am i correct (laughs) yes and don't even ask me all the details because i don't know people who listen to this show will know that this is not my style yeah but my lovely wife has organized planned a weekend in boston for us we're going down for some business but we will visit family and friends and there are a lot and of them. That's also like a little bit different, right? Because you're you're going down and visiting family and friends, but with every conversation you have with them to set it up, you and Pooja have to say things like, just so you know, we are here, we have this appointment meeting, whatever you want to call it, on this day at this time. And then, well, and cousin so-and-so said that they'd like to see us now because they're not going to be here on the Sunday, but so-and-so is not going to be here on the Saturday. So did it, And it seems like things are fitting into Was it like that? <laughs> this night at this house with these family members, lunch the oh. next day with those family members, the night you the next night houses. with a new friend, the you next don't day even stay with in the same different house aunts and, and uncles. Then visit all the friends. I think there's some consistency along the way. It, it all adds up to almost well, four days. So. The consistency is the three of you or the four of you now will be in Boston, right? Yes. <laughs> and every once in a while I get looped in on a text. <laughs> so someone from the city will respond and I'll be included. Very kind of you. Thank you. Is pizza and salad going to be okay for Anisha for dinner? And I start to get a little glimpse into how much planning is going on, how much organizing is going on. And you're right, adding that layer of young children into the mix. A lot of the people we're visiting will also have young children. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of delightful because (laughs) these are cousins and really good friends. And some of the sources for the hand-me-downs that Anisha wears every day. So she shows up. Looking like their children? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be an awesome weekend. Oh, good. 
but there is a lot of etiquette going on I was in my gonna life. Say, there's a lot, a lot of juggling, a lot of let me just be flexible. And a lot of appreciating my wife right now yeah. as I talk about it. Well, and here we are joking about all of the, the scheduling and everything, but there's also a lot of looking forward to it. There's a lot of enthusiasm for each of these things. And even that is something, your energy levels to keep up for each visit when you see each new group. And sometimes that can feel really draining. Other times it can feel really energizing because you aren't with the same people for three or four days straight. Each thing is, oh, and I get to see them and we'll only get to see them for this long. So yay, you know, be be there for it. And it can be kind of both. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the aquarium. Ooh, me too. Boston Aquarium. Yeah. So cool. And... <laughs> As I live vicariously through you. <laughs> We've been breaking out Nemo a little bit at a time. I'm trying to build some anticipation in the three-year-old. Escape. Exactly. <laughs> Shall we escape to some questions? Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute, and on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question today is called Carry Out Courtesy, and it comes via voicemail, so we get to hear from our wonderful listener, who is in Richmond. Hi, Liz and Dan. My name is Liz Bryant. 
First, I thoroughly enjoy your podcast. I launched a business etiquette consultancy last year, and I came across it and fell in love. I like listening to it as I get ready in the morning because it really starts my day on a positive note. My question is this. It seems like it used to be that restaurant tipping was for in-house service, but not for carry-out or to-go orders. More and more now, I'm seeing a tip option on the credit card receipt. And to me, it seems wrong to put a line through it or to select the no tip option on the payment screen. So I do end up tipping for takeout, but I'm actually not sure about the real answer to this. Should one tip for carryout? And if so, what is an appropriate amount? Thank you so much for your help and all the best from Richmond. Liz, thank you so much for reaching out to us with this question. This is one that confounds a lot of people. Even my boy Drew Brees got written up in the news years I ago did for not this. Know that. He had a really large Chinese takeout order and he didn't leave, you know, I think he left like a $3 tip or something on it. And I remember both defending him and saying it's also good to think about it. This is one of those funky little spots where takeaway and carry out or to-go orders can vary in terms of how much they impact a restaurant. Some restaurants, it's really a very easy thing. It, In fact, they welcome it because it means less work serving tables all night, but still food getting cooked and money coming in. And so it's 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 looked at differently by different establishments. It's also handled differently. Some places have curbside service where there's a dedicated server purely for this and they're coming out. That, I think, does kind of amp you up into a, a higher like incentive to tip or um, encouragement to tip. But other places, while people are getting your order ready, it is different from serving them for a full hour of their time and your time. And it is different. It's collecting things. It's making sure that the order is correct and that it's going to the right customer. But it is different from a sit-down hour to two-hour long meal. And so that's why it gets placed in the category of discretionary. There's so many different ways that you might say, my order was really, really complicated and you guys are totally saving my katukas tonight because dinner burned and I need dinner for the dinner party I'm throwing. I'd like this, but could you hold the sauce and could you more tip? And people are allergic or, you know, and I oftentimes hate saying you have to tip more if you have an allergy or a personal restriction because... Those just simply are a part of how you are able to eat in a way that works for your body. And I don't want people to hear our advice and think that you get somehow financially punished or that you owe more because you have restrictions, either that you have to abide by or that you are choosing to abide by. So enter that into your thinking. A lot of discretionary decision-making going on here. So, Dan, what would you think about when you when you go up, when you say, how am I going to choose to handle this carry-out issue? So I'm starting with the most formal expectation. Okay. Sit-down service, if I accept it, requires a 20% tip. Right. So I don't need to hit that marker. I right. already know I'm below that. So now I've got my range, 0 to 20. And... For years, we've talked about 10% being a a reasonable amount to think about as a starting point when you're in that I'm not taking table service, but I'm picking up or there's buffet service or it's some other type of service, in this case, pickup. And I think that's a good jumping off point. It's about a halfway. Mm -hmm. It's not the same kind of marker that that 20% is, though. You can work toward it. You could leave a couple dollars for a small order that's not a big burden. You could opt to go for a little more if someone is 
hiking up seven floors or getting to the end of your long unplowed driveway, whatever. Yeah, or if you ordered a ton of food, and that actually does then become a lot to collect and get together and make sure it gets out the door. Yep. Yeah. But for me, I'm thinking it is a nice thing to do yeah. for all the reasons that you said, and I'm thinking of 10 percent as the amount that I'm going to reach for, and then I'm going to work up towards that depending on what the situation is. Okay, so that's a percentage tip, and and definitely I, I'm following the logic. What about if you went the dollar or two route? You know, I know a lot of people who their MO is that on pretty much all takeout orders, if they're, you know, just them or them and another person, that they just throw down a dollar or two on a takeout order. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. A dollar doesn't go quite as far as it used to. So we used to say, oh, a dollar for this, a dollar for that. And now we say, oh, a dollar or two. Two. (laughs) Or maybe five. (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) Cash is always appreciated. Yeah. The best is the enemy of the good. I think doing a little something is worthwhile. I think there are other things that make tipping successful. I think being genuine and gracious and grateful when you offer a tip is a big part of it being delivered and received well. And also honors the actual thing you're doing, which is that gratuity coming from a place of gratitude. (laughs) It's respectful. It's classy. It can be discreet. It doesn't need to be a big deal. The the exchange of money isn't the production element here. The appreciation is what I think of as the production element, the point of emphasis in the exchange. There's one other thing I wanted to focus on here, and that's the the social expectation element. We know Mm -hmm. that's a big part of etiquette. So the question asked about that line on the receipt or the suggestion to tip when the tablet is turned around to face you. And it says the thing on it. (laughs) And we've heard about this in a different way before. We've heard people say, I feel pressured. Mm -hmm. That that, that makes me feel a pressure to do it that I don't like. And what I like here is our question asker is saying, I feel that pressure, but not in a negative way. I'm not thinking, oh, they shouldn't be pressuring me like that. Mm -hmm. I feel it more from my side of the equation, like it kind of nudges me to do it and I want to do it well and right. And I just liked that. I like that there wasn't the pressure. (laughs) I like that there's an acknowledgement that that does the default of we're kind of expecting this or there's a place for this in our whole system does apply a little bit of pressure, but that our question asker isn't feeling that and saying, oh, they shouldn't be doing that to me, but they're saying, okay, so I'm feeling that. How do I reconcile that in myself. And to me, that's such good etiquette. Okay, so what do you do with that then, though? It's it's pressure, but you're feeling it. And I'm, I'm glad Liz feels it in the way that says, oh, and now I'm more encouraged to leave a tip. I don't know that that happens with everybody. <laughs> it doesn't. It's why I think it's worth spending some time on this answer. Yeah. When we say zero to 10%, it really means zero to 10%. There are times where you might not tip. It's counter service. You don't have the money. You're not feeling inspired, grateful, thankful, whatever it is. I I try to not live in that place too, too much. I I think gratuity is an important way to support good service, and I like to participate in that exchange. But you have the option. You can work from that zero to that 10 percent, and you can feel comfortable making choices within that range and feel good about it. And that's okay. And it's up to you to make those choices. And that's one of the challenges of an increasingly complex and diverse, less formal world. Is <laughs> very, very true. I think one of the final points I want to bring up on this topic is that moment where, because Liz mentions the line, so she's seeing the tip line show up on the receipt. And a lot of our question askers will say, so what do I do if I want to leave a cash tip, though, or if I just want to leave like 
leftover change, is there some way I can acknowledge this? And you can. You can write cash on that tip line and then put the tip in the money jar or, you know, leave it with the slip, whichever way is more appropriate for this place. But a lot of people get really nervous that if they're not seen leaving cash, that their tip won't count or that someone will think that they are a jerk somehow. And so that's a moment of pressure where I try and encourage people, don't worry about it. If you put the money in the jar and no one sees it, you know you put the money in the jar and they're going to count their tips at the end of the night. And, you know, hopefully a lot of other people put the money in the jar too like i've worried feel that, confident <laughs> i've worried that writing down my tip it'll get missed somehow they won't see it the, the card will get run and it, it takes a whole extra step for someone to so enter in it. that tip amount so different ways that pressure comes into play right exactly <laughs> and and i've asked myself should i point out that i wrote down a dollar amount tip and so I they don't miss you it money. <laughs> I've ended up deciding for myself that that's a little too much. That well, that's micromanaging. Po- it's pointing at the tip a little yeah. more than I'm comfortable doing. Um, well, it's also saying that the people who manage these slips, multiple of them, and seek out those tips daily aren't paying attention enough to notice it. So I think it's good that you back off from worrying about pointing that one out. What I do do <laughs> is make sure that I write very legibly because yes. I don't want there to be any confusion about whether that's a one or a two. And I make my one sort of grand sometimes and they can look like two. So watch the penmanship, write legibly. I feel like I'm in good shape. I'm sure that our listeners will be also. A big thank you to Liz in Richmond for helping us all feel a little more comfortable in this moment. Everybody likes to eat. Of course, each may have his own individual preference, but no matter whether it's a hot dog at the county fair or a full course dinner at the Ritz, There's no denying that people like to eat. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Our next question is titled, Pool Chair Problems. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. A while ago, I took my son and his friend to an indoor water park. Usually families lay their stuff on the tables and chairs and then off they go to enjoy the water. I needed one chair to sit poolside to watch my son and his friend. I grabbed one that didn't have anything on it, and that is when a lady came from another direction and said, that is my chair and I need it back. I said no. I said, your family isn't using it right now and I want to sit down. She said, I have eight people. What am I supposed to do about lunch? It was about 10.15 a.m. I said, I am sure you will figure it out. That is when she said, well, when they come back for lunch, I am getting it back. And I said, yeah, we will see about that. I would like to say that it wasn't a cabana that you had to reserve and pay for. I am positive this is not the way you guys would have handled this situation. I know I am supposed to be considerate of others. There aren't enough chairs for everyone, and it seems inconsiderate of people to take over spaces and then not use them most of the day. Can you help me see this situation in a different way? I want to continue to be a more considerate person, and with your help, I feel like I am on my way. Warm regards, Vicky. I think we have to give Vicky some real kudos here. 
because you hear us talk all the time about self-reflection on this show. And Vicky is definitely aware of the fact that the way she handled the situation and the way the other woman handled the situation, that she doesn't think that this was good behavior or good etiquette necessarily. But she's willing to put that out there and to say and admit the conversation and very honestly tell us the things she said that probably weren't etiquette if we want to say that. But she's saying, I have a real problem here. And there are multiple perspectives on this. And the the venue isn't providing a solution in a way that will make every single person happy because they can't tell how many people are going to be at the pool at any given time. They only have the capacity to put in so many chairs. You know, it's there's some interesting things at play here, but I really want to commend Vicky for being willing to put out a conversation that didn't necessarily have the best etiquette foot forward and to say, I was a part of this and how could it have done better because I still want to go to the pool, enjoy my time, know how to interact and also not deal with people who are selfishly taking over the place. And I'm not saying that the other woman was, but that's the perspective I'm hearing here, you know. I had a similar yay thought when I read this question because there is a, a real honesty and integrity to the way it's presented. And that is a core tenet of good etiquette. I think there's something else about this question substantively that really resonates with me, which is that I think the basic information here is okay. I think there's a a tonal question about the conversation (laughs) that we're clearly going to address and talk about. But in a world where first come, first serve is often sort of a tenet to the way we organize socially. Public spaces, yeah. To the idea that we share resources in ways that work for everyone. If something's not being used and it could really help or benefit someone, oftentimes there's an accommodation made that allows for them to use that shared resource. There there are some things here that make a lot of sense in terms of the way we organize socially well. I do think there's some work here that we could do with the tone and the nature of the exchange. But I, I think that our question asker is actually in pretty good shape in terms of what it was she was looking for and the way that that interaction sort of substantively played out. So I'm looking at the language here and I'm seeing you get the kids in, you you sit down, you're kind of as a parent, you're having that moment. And I'm imagining here. So parent tell me of like, OK, like we're here. We've got it all. It's going good. And you just want to sit. <laughs> and there's a totally empty chair. Nobody around it. No one's stuff is even near it. We think we're in pretty good stead to just sit in that chair. And then you hear, that's my chair. I need it back. And immediately what I'm hearing from this other person is no acknowledgement that this might be an accident. I'm hearing possession and claiming of an item that had no distinct personal belongings on it, allowing it to be claimed, you know, from a, a, a viewer's perspective. I was keying on that so also. So I wanted to say that Vicky right off the bat is dealing with, whoa, okay, I looked at the situation. I thought this was kosher and it's not. And you are like, I'm I'm reading that's my chair and I need it back as upsetting. I'm not hearing it in a nice tone, so I might not be giving a benefit of the doubt when I'm imagining it, but I, I would have my bristles up a little bit too. My first reaction, though, would probably be to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand because there was nothing on it. You know, that might be something to just simply, step one, explain why you ended up sitting in the chair that was her chair. You know what I mean? And I think it's reasonable to also say sometimes people in groups 
come, move in, say, all right, we're, we're putting a backpack on this end of the movie yep. aisle and a coat on this end. And all of these ones in between are for the eight of us that are here together. And how would you know unless you knew? <laughs> and you might miss that. So I, I do think you're right that a, a place to start with tone would be an acknowledging of that possibility. And that doesn't necessarily mean you seed any ground in terms of maybe you're still going to get to use this chair for now for your purposes or maybe even it's going to be your chair. But by making that little acknowledgement, you set a tone for the whole discussion that I think would really change the nature of the exchange from that point on. What I see next is that you respond with no, and that's a that's a point that we would suggest a correction for, that we say, oh, excuse me, I didn't realize, and that that would probably be a better way to handle this interaction from an etiquette standpoint. The next line you're giving this woman who's claiming the chair is, your family isn't using it right now, and I want to sit down. That's not a bad line in any way, but I might try and soften it a little bit and say, oh, I noticed that no one had any bags or anything on it. It didn't seem like it was in use. Rather than use, bring it back to its. And sometimes pulling use out of a situation helps to diffuse what's going on because now it's not you, me, mine, yours. It's it. (laughs) And that just something gives people a little bit of space to absorb things. So you might have said something like, oh, I didn't realize I didn't see any bags on it. It didn't look like it was in use. Are you needing to use it right now? So you've asked her a question and she could say, I have eight people for lunch. And you can then say, well, it's 1015. How about at 1145? I go find a different spot. It seems like it's pretty crowded here today. We might have to do a little bit of sharing around the pool. And that to me is even a little bit of a step too far because now I'm suggesting that I have some kind of perspective on the whole way that the pool should be run, even though it's a pretty well-accepted perspective that pool tables and chairs are shared in a public pool space. You know what I mean? But I think that countering her at that point when she's worried about lunch saying, oh, would it be all right if I sat here until 1130, 1145, or when your kids start coming out of the pool, I can hop up and find another... And then I would express my perspective because not much of that has gotten to happen here except for I didn't notice that you had claimed this chair that was totally blank. And that's when I would say, I'm just so tired and I happen to really need a place to sit. Would you be willing to let me sit here? I recognize that a lot of the language I'm giving right now is acting as if this other person does have ownership of the chair. Sometimes it works really well in public spaces to recognize that perception of first come, first serve. You clearly are looking at it like it's blank and open. I should be able to sit here. And I I, frankly, Vicky, I agree with you. I don't love how this other person has handled. I see this other person in a moment of panic thinking, what am I going to do an hour and a half from now, two hours from now when all the kids are here and I've got eight of them and there's no space and I don't know where we're going to serve anything. So I'm feeling panic from the other. And we rushed through the door and we claimed our spot and now someone's trying to take it. You got it. And the more that I can recognize where that other parent might, might be coming from and say, oh, I could understand how that would be stressful. But I also am a parent and I want a seat and this seat is available now. I'm not going to need it all day. 
can we make a way to work this out? And I think that's what you want to be getting to. So when you, when you ask, can you help me see it differently? I don't know if I can help you see it differently, but we might be able to help you adjust the tone and the structure of the way you approach a situation like this so that you get the outcome you want. Absolutely. And I feel like you worked your way to the sample script, master of sample scripts right there. And it's at this point in the conversation where things totally break down. I'm sure you're going to figure it out. Well, when you come back for lunch, I'm getting it. That's going to be me figuring it out. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll see about that. At this this point, it's tit for tat. It's confrontational. It's Whose ground can stand stronger? It's appropriately sort of managed confrontational. You're not cussing at each other. It, I don't. It doesn't feel like you're about to come to blows. But this is definitely this is like two forthright people who met each other in a moment, as opposed to like more of a like a you know a forthright and like a I don't want to say a doormat, but you know like someone who's just going to be like oh no big deal like whatever. Like I think you can help avoid that yeah. by earlier on doing that work that Lizzie's talking about of just trying to figure out where they're coming from. And I know how fast that all happens. <laughs> that yeah. you you don't know ahead of time that she's going to say the crux of the issue for her is a lunch that's an hour Two and a half down away. the road. Yeah. And that that time is going to provide the compromise that, that could work for everyone. You just can't anticipate that Walking at the in. beginning. No. But what you can anticipate is that a cooperative attitude is going to be more likely to create the space to find those compromises, to allow the discovery of that hour and a half where you could maybe use this chair without bothering her or anybody. So that's the I guess the etiquette answer is that there is an approach and and you can't go six steps down the line, but step one, step two, step three, and then you keep your wits about you and you keep breathing deep. You remind yourself that there's probably other chairs around if you have to back off, if you don't like the way the whole conversation's going and it matters more to you to maintain your integrity in the moment than to get that chair. Then find it. Yeah. Find a different spot. Sit on the edge of the pool. Do what you need to do until a chair frees up. Vicky, we certainly hope that this helps. It is not easy to deal with confrontation from a stranger. And being able to handle those situations with a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of patience and a whole lot of friendly, we can make this work tone is definitely going to get you there in the future. Thank you so much for writing in and thank you so much for being so self-reflective. Whether or not he wins in the swimming meet, He has proved to himself and to others that he is not a coward. Well, we all have little fears which hamper us. We should take a tip from Bill. Our lives can be richer, happier, if we overcome our fears. Our next question is about tables for toddlers. Lizzie and Dan, I just listened to your podcast in which you discussed whether or not parents of toddlers dining in a restaurant should offer to clean up after themselves. I would love to hear you discuss points of etiquette around people bringing small children to restaurants in general. Do you think they should restrict themselves to fast food or fast casual restaurants like Olive Garden or TGI Fridays? 
If they come to fine dining restaurants, is there a point at which they are disruptive and should remove themselves? Should they restrict themselves to the earliest hours available? I feel like I should be able to expect a certain ambiance in a restaurant serving chef-prepared meals and expensive bottles of wine after 7 p.m. or so. Am I just a cranky middle-aged person without children, or is my point of view valid? I also don't feel we're doing the child a service. She would probably rather eat nuggets at McDonald's at 5 rather than a fancy meal at 8 when she should be in bed. The parents, who probably just want a night out, end up getting their food wrapped as they chase their kids around the restaurant. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for the great podcast, Robin. Robin, you are not a cranky middle-aged person without children who's upset about something that's completely ridiculous. And I totally, when we were reading that, had to retake it because I was like, hey, that's me! 37, no children. I want my quiet dinner. <laughs> it's so understandable. And everyone's point of view is valid. It That's is. kind of the point. We want to respect everyone. And this is such a good reminder that restaurants are public places. Yep. And that because they're public places, they're shared. And everyone who's sharing those spaces deserves consideration, respect, and honesty. The restaurant. Yep. The people who are dining there, the parents, the children, and the servers. Yeah. I love the idea of reasonable expectations for children mm-hmm. because it works for everyone. It's so not fair to bring a toddler to a meal that's going to last longer than you could ever reasonably expect a toddler to sit quietly. It just doesn't make like, sense. A hundred percent. And it doesn't make sense for the parents. It doesn't make sense for the child. It doesn't make sense for the servers, the establishment, the other people dining there, the chef who's working hard to make food that ends up being ignored by parents who are taking care of kids or kids that aren't eating it. Dropped on the floor. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Isn't able to be appreciated because the person at the next table is listening to a screaming baby or watching parents have a hard time managing an unruly child. I am sympathetic to this situation. and. I do think that there are guidelines. I do think that a lot of the things suggested in this question help choose more informal family-style restaurants for those early exposure experiences that are so important for kids. Choose times of the day that are earlier. It works much better for bedtime as our question asker, as Robin points out. Just like it works better for other people dining who are thinking of a later evening meal as something that maybe has a little more formality, a little more elegance, a little more of an event experience. And we talk all the time on this show about how restaurants work hard to create certain atmospheres, a certain ambiance, how cell phones can be disruptive to that. We're hearing more and more restaurants ban cell phones. Like this is – people do care about the ambiance. It's something that – makes eating out a pleasure for many, many people. It's something that restaurants take pride in and participating in that experience and not disrupting that is part of being a good guest, being a good customer. And there is etiquette for being a good customer. And you can sympathize with the parents who just don't want to cook the food that night. They want to get out to a restaurant. They want to have a nice night. They're feeling sick of all of the Olive Gardens and McDonald's or, you know, out of Annie's, out of the freezer, whatever it is. They're burnt out. And so they are looking for some solution. And I I feel for those parents in that moment. And we still encourage to really think about time and place. Think about setting up your family and your those early exposure moments for success, as Dan said. And Typically, bringing a toddler out to a later-in-the-evening meal at a fancy restaurant doesn't set anybody up for success. 
There are times and places where you can try it, and there are times and places you should try it a little bit. But we always recommend that at the first sign of things not kind of going well or of fidgeting really becoming more of the the thing you're focused on than the meal, then it's time to pack everything up and go and take the kid home and call it a success because you got out for 20 minutes, half an hour. Maybe it lasted 45 minutes. Whatever it was, I, I do want to encourage parents that, you know, you do try, but you recognize when the trying isn't working anymore. Robin, there's not much that you can do in the moment. And that's one of the harder things about this question is that this isn't something like, you know, leaning over and saying, could you keep your kid down? We don't recommend that. Scowling, making them even more pressured doesn't help either. Being sympathetic when you can and saying, okay, this was the night that my night out didn't go well. You know, it happens sometimes. (laughs) Staying patient, staying understanding is your job in those situations where something doesn't go according to plan. And I think we could all safely assume, although we try not to assume too much on this show, that a parent dealing with an unruly child in a restaurant is probably something they weren't anticipating or planning on. And you hold your judgment on how they got themselves into that situation because it doesn't help the situation in that moment. Robin, this is such a rich topic, and we hope that our answer has addressed some of the issues that you've talked about. I'm sure it's going to come up again. But in the meantime, I hope that you're able to enjoy many meals out uninterrupted. I need you to help me with my manners. No, Larry, you don't need me anymore. You can learn good manners yourself by watching the good manners of others. Our next question is titled, Missed the Marriage. Hello, my name is Lacey. I'm from California, and I had a wedding conundrum question. Uh, My husband and I were going to a wedding last weekend, and we were running late. And by late, I mean over an hour late to the wedding. And I was mortified and did not want to be walking in when everyone was sitting down to dinner when they were doing wedding speeches which is what time about I thought we would be arriving, and we did not go to the wedding. He is very upset that we did not go to the wedding. I thought it was rude to interrupt wedding speeches and first dances because the attention should be on the bride. Was I right or was I wrong? I just wanted everyone to know how late is too late to arrive to a wedding. Thanks. I love the show. Bye. Oh, Lacey, 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 I just want to give you a giant hug and say I feel your pain because these are those moments that are just so tough. You got a 50-50 shot of getting this right. And is it worse to interrupt? Is it worse to not show up? I don't know what to do. And all of the reasons that you listed are what I have been noticing as a trend in our culture of social insecurity. And and it's nothing new, just so you know. This is not like a phenomenon or anything, but it's it's walking into a place being worried about everything. Being and this is like whether you're meeting a friend at a place you've never been to before, whether you're meeting up in an open downtown area. I meet so many people who are like oh, I just don't want to walk in alone. I just don't want to be noticed as not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's this fear that you're going to be noticed. And here you've got someone else's big day where 
as you correctly state, taking attention away from that big day is generally considered fairly rude. And so you're sitting here going, no, no, no. I know that this is one of those times where I really can't like be make a noticed. Grand entrance an make hour a, yeah, late. exactly. All of those things. I feel your pressure so much. And I hope that you can just stay strong as I say what's coming next, which is staying would have been perfectly fine. Going to that wedding an hour late really would have been fine. You were right to think. Be careful about the timing of when I walk in. If it's during a speech, you don't run all the way up to the bride and say, I'm so sorry, we're so late. I don't think you would have done that anyway. But you don't do that, but you can come in quietly, find a server to help you find your seat, find or someone that you know to help you find your seat, or quietly wait till speeches are finished to then go find your seat. You pick up the meal wherever it is. Um, they may offer to let you eat the other courses. You can choose whether to take them up on that or whether to just jump in at whatever course they're on. You apologize when you get the moment to, but you don't have to go and make it the very first thing you do. In fact, it might be 20 minutes before the bride and groom even realize that you arrived. Just so you know, some brides and grooms don't even get to talk to everyone at their wedding. So it's also like a not a terrible event to try to sneak into, you know. I just don't want you to feel bad about having made the decision that you did. I think that you can easily write a note of apology to the bride and groom and tell them that you were so sorry at the point that you were going to be an hour late. You had to make the tough call of whether to go or not go. And you just want to say you're so sorry that you didn't go and that you you wish you could have found the appropriate way to enter and not be an interruption. The only thing I have to add to that particular decision moment is that you always want to have in your mind the idea that your absence is also something that might create a certain impression or someone might take notice of. That in some ways the late arrival could be distracting, but guests that just aren't there, the empty seats at the table or the, oh, I was so thinking I'd see – Aunt Lacey here and mm-hmm. I didn't is also something we, we, we say on the show that the question mark is the most difficult thing for a host to manage on a guest list. Yeses are OK. Noes are OK. Question marks are really difficult. And when you become that question mark, there's a, a certain distraction that comes along with that as well. We totally understand your thinking and hope that this answer helps reach some accord between you and your husband. The other thing that I wanted to say for everyone out there in response to your question of how late is too late to arrive to a wedding, in some ways our answer is saying it's it's never too late. Make your best effort. Get there. Things happen. And this is why we so often give the advice of plan ahead timing wise. And when it's something like a wedding or a job interview, a really important moment that you plan ridiculously long buffer zones in terms of if if there's traffic on the five or whatever it is, it's it's important to try to plan for that. But when you can't and when all the gremlins get you, then you just do your best to show up, make your apology, but but try to show up. Lacey, thank you for this question. And we hope that the next wedding goes much more smoothly. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are awesome etiquette. 
Just use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette with your post so that we know you watch your question, comment, or feedback on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you can help keep Awesome Etiquette alive. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Heidi, who has a very long piece of feedback that is very thoughtful. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I wanted to make a comment about an episode from a while ago. It was the episode when a person was planning a party and their friends replied that they would be there with their very little baby. I want to tell you why I think this is okay and why other people should try to be okay with it. Little babies that are just born need to be close to their mothers, especially if they are breastfeeding. I am a mother to four kids, and those first few months, my babies are like Velcro to me. I typically wore my babies in a sling. They were truly a physical extension of me. When and if we were separated for an extended bit of time, both me and baby were in distress. We were both more at peace when we were together. I learned that there was an unspoken rule during this time that for most part, babies in arms were considered okay at almost any public event or outing. Now, not everyone practices attachment parenting, and some parents want or need a physical break from baby, and I think that is okay. But for those that have the need and desire to keep their baby in arms close, it is very welcoming for others to accept them. I fondly remember attending board meetings, formal dinners, a wedding, and even a fun New Year's Eve adult party wearing my tiny babies on me. Now, I will also add this. I firmly believe that this is a brief period of time. By four to six months, babies are starting to move and are in a different place, and typically even the most attached mothers can be separated for a bit of time. This is a personal decision, but the general rule I came to understand is that when the baby is no longer something you can carry in your arms, it is time to leave baby home. We are great believers in kids-free events. We often get a sitter for our kids so we could enjoy adult company alone. But little babies in arms are different. Sometimes it is hard for others to understand this until they have a baby themselves, but I would encourage everyone to try to be more open and welcoming to moms with little babies, both in the workplace and socially. I also think it's fine and perfectly appropriate to say on an invitation, adults only, but babies in arms, welcome. This is a term that is understood in parenting circles. I hope this helps listeners embrace little babies in arms with an open attitude and realize they are truly in a different category than other kids. Thanks. A seasoned mom who has been there four times now. Some really, really good perspective here about what it's like to be the mom in that situation, what it's like to think about yourself as now a mom with an attachment, you know what I mean? And also just leaving room for there to be events where you're adults only, where, no, it's not going to be a big deal if the baby is here. Or where, boy, you know, it's a kid event and we're going to have kids doing all the things that kids do during an event where kids are present. I like this idea of adding a category. We're not saying don't have no kid events. We're not saying everything kids should be welcome. But the idea that there is this class, this category when children are very first born, when you're dealing with infants and newborns where they really are 
smaller. Yeah. <laughs> they sleep a lot. They're and often like in a carrier. <laughs> there there might be some room for there to be some accommodations around no kids parties where this would work. Yeah. Seasoned Mom, thank you for the perspective and thank you for sharing it with us. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are continuing on our countdown of our top 10 most searched content from emilypost.com. And the number seven is, drumroll please, email do's and don'ts. Dan, because you are our wonderful business etiquette seminar presenter extraordinaire tell us what do you hear in the world of business emails do's and don'ts or just email do's and don'ts i'm, I'm the evil super villain tapping my fingers are together are you mr burnsing it right now i am totally excellent mr. i get to it. dive into my favorite topic <laughs> i've been wondering when we were going to get a business etiquette question or, or article in our top 10 it didn't take long no and didn't. i'm not surprised that it's about email etiquette this is one of the most requested topics when we do communication, manners, behaviors for work and for professionals. Second only, I would say, to etiquette for the smartphone. Emails are the currency of business communication. They are the most common, the sort of most standard way that people communicate in business. And it really matters how you manage them, how you communicate via email. So let's talk a little bit about email etiquette. Okay. First thing, this is the written word. There are limits. Whoa, 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 the written word. This is heavy. <laughs> yes. And the same traditional courtesies that have applied to the written word for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. I don't know. I can't date them quite back that far, but there is limitation to the written word. There is a, a real limitation to what can be communicated with writing. When you're not face-to-face -face with someone, when you don't hear the tone of their voice, when you don't see the twinkle in their eye, the smile on their lips, you just don't have as much information about what they're trying to communicate. And you want to remind yourself of that. You want to think about that. So you want to communicate clearly. You want to write in complete sentences. You want to use proper grammar and you want to spell things correctly because anything that you can do that's going to make that written communication easier to understand is going to work to your advantage. You may think we live in a world where, you know, even long established publications like the New York Times have typos in them regularly online. And it's really easy to be in that place of casual communication because we now interact via text. And I don't mean texting, but through text on a screen more than, well, obviously at any other point in history because we didn't have screens for that long. It's so incredibly a part of our communication style that, of course, we would find shorthand, quick, easy ways. Of course, we would start to self-edit and edit for other people. I mean, I don't know about you all, but my autocorrect is going nuts lately. The The word good is now officially hood in my face. It's like none of nothing is coming out right. Even when I type it right, it'll autocorrect to something that's not right. And so there are so many ways in which mistakes happen in our writing that it is very, very very easy for us to ignore our own. 
we're used to seeing them in other people's work, but we don't actually ignore it in other people's work. And that's why it's so important with these emails to make sure that you take care and to not just take the casual shortcut route unless you have that kind of rapport. Dan and I at this point in our business emailing have that kind of rapport. But I'll tell you, the emails that go out the door, especially to a client that we've only known for a couple email exchanges or something like that, those get read out loud repeatedly. And they often get put on hold so that we then go back and read them. There's an extreme amount of care we take with a lot of those. You're absolutely right. You proofread both for mistakes, but also for tone. That reading something back out loud to yourself is a great way to hear it, to not just check for spelling and grammar, but also to check for the the feel of the communication. Sometimes we suggest imagining the person that you're writing to being in the room with you. Imagine them reading it. Imagine that as you read it, you're reading it to them. That's one way to start to build in some of that personal accountability. This might sound like a bit of a reach, but just go with me here for a second. Okay, okay. Maybe even picture a third person in the room with you. Whoa, good um, piece of advice, Imagine cause. your mother or your supervisor, someone who you feel some accountability to also hearing this exchange because that'll take you out of the the particulars of that relationship, whatever it is, whether it's really good, whether you're feeling great about it or whether you're, it feels a little awkward or you're not feeling so good about it, and introduce that that third I that really can level things and, and help you see things that you otherwise wouldn't. Other little detail things to mention, of course, be careful with two and subject lines. There's an emerging courtesy around tagging information well, both so that people know what's coming in, but also so they can sort it and find it later if it's something that matters to them. Be really careful and appropriate with your use of the BCC and the CC. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't include people, don't CC people that wouldn't want to be uh, included. Don't uh, blind carbon copy or hide other people who are part of communication for reasons that aren't upright and straightforward. Right. A mailing where you're sending a, basically a form letter out to a lot of people, it's going to be expected a BCC is on that. And and that's OK. You can kind of tell when that's come in. But if Dan and I are both emailing somebody else and I don't tell them that our lawyer is BCC'd on this or something exactly. like that, that's where you start getting into. Or, you know, if if two coworkers are emailing and one of them has also BCC'd the supervisor so that the other one can get thrown under the bus a little bit. Like it's that's what we're looking to avoid. Absolutely. I just mentioned in an offhand way, there's a courtesy to not spamming people today. So that's both with CCs and with the basic body and content of the email that you're really careful about how you ask for people's attention. In terms of the structure of the email itself, salutations and closings are still really important. It really matters that you address someone's humanity at the start of an email exchange. With my very close cousin, Lizzie Post, an LP comma return return is often enough. I've I've addressed the humanity of Just the person I'm works. talking with. <laughs> Just the initials. And all of a sudden, the next thing that I say isn't a demand. It's right. not like I'm inserting myself into someone's mind. Some people think it's the reason that texting feels so intimate is mm-hmm. that there's no entrance or exit from right. the conversation. It's perpetual, it's ongoing, it's ever-present. and It just shows up. <laughs> you want to give people a chance to enter and leave an exchange, and salutations and closings are a great way to do that. 
escalating up a scale of formality. Someone's initials, someone's name, uh, a greeting like greetings or good morning or hello in their name or hi in their name or more formally their title and their name or casually hey. <laughs> exactly. There Which are a is lot for of horses, according to my grandmother. But better for cows. Pigs would eat it, but they don't know how. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Closing letters or emails. Sincerely is the most formal. You're not going to use that most of the time. But best regards, regards, all the best, best. In social correspondence, warmly, affectionately, yours truly, with love. Don't necessarily try those for business. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't mean to laugh. That one didn't catch me, though. <laughs> My final tip for business email communication is keep it brief. If you notice an email getting a lot longer than, say, three written paragraphs, if those three written paragraphs start to get beefy, start to ask yourself, what am I communicating here? Am I sticking to information or is there a lot of why? Is there a lot of emotional explaining going on or a lot of detailed explaining that I could do better by picking up the phone or visiting someone in person? Maybe that answer is a yes, then do that. If it's important that you have all this included and part of a record and in an email, then reread for tone, check your spelling, grammar, dot your I's, cross your T's, and use email the way you should. So we've leaned pretty heavily on the business side of this because that's what we get asked about most. But there is also family and social emailing that happens, whether that's invitations being sent, whether it's announcements going out. Our post family and my my coward family both go through different iterations of who's on what mail, you know, emails and things like that and what types of announcements get sent. For social emails, the biggest tip I have is reply. <laughs> You reminded me when you talked about email invitations, the RSVP is still important. You reply to any invitation in the medium that the invitation indicates. And sometimes there's specific direction about that. If there's not, usually that's in the form that the invitation arrives. We get invited to things via email all the time. Send replies to people. What is a timely reply? Try to get it back to people in 24 hours. A day turnaround on email is is the kind of generally accepted window. It's not always possible. Sooner is better. People say. love quick replies. It really it's it's a great way to show you're on it and that you are invested. Sooner is better. And in business it's funny cuz that's one where Dan and I are often saying to each other, "Wait, I sent that email on Monday and it's Friday and I haven't heard back yet. Like, when should I nudge again?" And that nudge often comes, you know, after a full week has passed. Socially, I think those nudges can come a little quicker. I could also make the argument for them going a little slower. But I do think you're right when you see whether it's an invitation or whether it's just a, a connecting point um, or a conversation that's being started, a timely reply in your social world is important. Some of the other things are it's really important to take the temperature of your friends and family on how they feel about things like big group emails, uh, passing around that funny meme, things like that. We kind of have other spaces that we now do that in more. So chain emails, you know, that funny email that's been passed everywhere. We kind of think of those as a little passe at this point. And it's not considered the best way to get that information out there. That being said, some people don't have social accounts. And so that's what happens. And just try to take the temperature of your friends and family and make sure that you're really only emailing those kinds of things to people who want to be receiving social emails that way. The final tip is to remember to send 
separate your social and business if you need to. And that is something to really remember. Oftentimes, we, if we own our own businesses, our business account ends up being our social account. And that can be wonderful and easy. It can also mean a lot of extra emailing on business time or you just want to be careful. Um, and so just be aware of that. Really try to reach people at the email address that's most appropriate for the content that you're sending. This postscript could become several postscripts. This postscript could become several shows. Postscript could become its own book. (laughs) Communication is so important. And you've told us that by how often you ask that question at emilypost.com. Stay tuned. Next week's postscript, we will be moving on to the sixth most searched article on Emily Post, which is addressing wedding invitations. And I'm sure no one has any interest yeah, in that. Yeah, no, no, no. And I'm sure it won't at all be a, sh- be a long segment. No, we couldn't possibly make a year's worth of content out of that. <laughs> Sample scripts at the ready. But I wish I could go outdoors again. I like to go around with the mailman all day. All day, Glenn? The mailman has a long day. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Elle in Ontario. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your show. I look forward to it every week. I am up in Milton, Ontario, and we too are experiencing the snow and cold weather. I have so many questions to ask and don't know where to start. However, I think right now I want to tell you how proud I am of my son. My son is in grade five, and they were having a Beyblade tournament at school. For those of you who don't know what a Beyblade is, in simple terms, it's a fancy top that you wind up. Two people throw their Beyblade in the stadium, and whoever is the last one standing wins. During the challenge, one of his friends forgot to bring his, and my son offered to lend one of his. While his friend was playing with it, a piece of it broke off. His friend was devastated and was in tears. My son's response was to let him know that it was no big deal. The thing was, I had no idea about all of this. I received a call from my son's teacher, and she retold the story to me. She was impressed that he chose to share, as well as his positive reaction. When she asked him where he learned to be so compassionate, he said from his mom and dad. That just brought tears to my eyes. I have had my challenges with this son this past year, and so to hear something this positive was very amazing. We and every parent try to instill values in our children, and we don't always see it, but you never know how much they are taking in and absorbing. He doesn't always show this much compassion to his siblings, but I know he has it in him, and I love that he is showing it to the world. My etiquette salute goes to my son. May he always stay this positive. Thank you for reading, and I am liking the new Patreon site, L. Oh, we're so glad that you like the new Patreon site, and I'm so glad you sent this salute. Lizzie and I both teared up a little bit. We both welled up as we read this. There is something about um, that connection and being affirmed in that connection that you have with your son that really is communicated well here. And thank you for sharing that with all of us. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Especially thank you to those who support us on Patreon. Come join us over there. 
please connect with the show. Share the show with friends, family, whoever you think might enjoy a little awesome etiquette in their lives. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette as well as the Emily Post Institute. Please do consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. And a big shout out to all our Spotify listeners. You are climbing in the ranks as a (laughs) platform of choice for the AE community. Thank you. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.